you can have a seat. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just want to say this. If that song doesn't do it for you, we got nothing more. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, some of you at the other campuses are going, what song? Well, if that song doesn't do it for you, we got nothing more. So, uh, now, all joking aside, we're going to dive into the Word right now. we got a lot of work to do today, so why don't you all bow with me and let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gathered church, that we can worship you, lift our voices to you uh, here and those online to gather as one church uh, in Christ. And I pray, God, that as we turn to your Word now, that you might give us wisdom uh, and insight into what you have already revealed. May we understand it rightly, and may your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds to understand and be open and receptive to what you have to say to us. Remind us of that today, Father. We're going to look at some tough things that apply very pointedly to our lives today, and may we not resist but be open to what you have to say. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you are saying after that prayer, what are you talking about? Like hard things that are going to be difficult to receive? Yeah, because what we're going to talk about today in our third installment here through the book of Philemon uh, is this idea of reconciliation. Not as we saw last week, Jesus' reconciliation with us that he paved the way for on the cross, but our reconciliation with each other when a relationship goes south. How to restore a relationship relationship that has been broken by either your sin or another's sin or both, how do you reconcile with others? And I'll just begin by saying the elephant in the room, and that's that reconciliation is really hard. It's really hard. Because when you read what the Bible says that we should do, we realize we're not very good at it. So, for instance, the Bible at one point in 1 Corinthians 13 says, keep no record of wrongs. How many of you are good at that? Don't raise your hand. Probably not too many of us. I, I got this mental Rolodex inside of my head, and I'm telling you, I mark it with permanent ink when somebody wrongs me. It's hard not to keep a record of wrongs. The Bible also says when you read further to forgive others and let go just as God and Christ has forgiven us. And then you read the images of what the Bible says God's forgiving of us is about. It says that he has thrown our sins as far as the east is from the west. It says he's thrown our sins into the depths of the sea. And I sit there and go, well, I don't have a very good throwing arm. <laughs> and, and, and it's hard for me to throw them into my sea because my sea is really shallow. I'm not very good at that. And then you read what Jesus has to say. Jesus says, hey, don't focus on the log in your eye, but on the, uh, 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 don't focus on the log, or do focus on the log in your eye, not the speck in another person's eye. And I sit there and say, man, I got this really good gift of being able to look beyond my own log at somebody else's speck. And you see, here's my point. My guess is, is that you're good at all that too. My guess is, is that you have permanent ink that you write in your mental Rolodex, that you don't have a very good throwing arm when it comes to, to throwing other people's sins as far as the east is from the west, and that you're really good at looking beyond your log into somebody else's speck. And here's what we learn from that, and that is that universal to the human condition, now watch this, is a love-hate relationship with this thing called reconciliation, Right? Like we love it in one sense. We watch a, a movie on TV or whatever and we see these you know, really difficult relationships come together and get restored and we, we cry and go, what a beautiful thing. Maybe you even had it happen in your life. 
but we hate it as well because many times it doesn't seem to work. And it's a very, very difficult thing, especially when the deep is, or the hurt is, is strong and, and, and the wrong that somebody's committed against us is deep. Reconciliation is really hard. And then along comes God's word. And in the short but power-packed little letter that we've been looking at for the last three weeks here called Philemon in the New Testament, it gives us hope. Because here's the Cliff Notes version of Philemon. It tells us that God's pathways can restore even the most messed up relationships. That's the message of Philemon. Like a relationship torn apart by the injustice of Roman slavery. Like a relationship torn apart by fear and dishonesty. Like a relationship torn apart by running and abandoning. In short, if Philemon and Onesimus, the two main characters we'll talk about here in a minute, can reconcile, then the Bible says there's hope for any and all of us. If a runaway slave and a wrong-thinking businessman can reconcile at the cross of Jesus, then there's hope for your marriage, your family, your friendships, your work relationships. Watch this. There's even hope for society today as they're wrestling with what to do with injustice and even the discord between various groups of people. That's the message of Philemon. And so what we're going to do today is unpack the rest of this letter. We've already talked about the first nine verses and two other messages. We're now going to talk about the rest of this letter. And what you're going to notice is that there is a fourfold path laid out here toward reconciliation. The Bible makes sense. I've been telling you guys this for years. And here you're going to find it makes a lot of sense, though it's going to be hard to apply, is it gives us a fourfold path that we can apply up the mountain, different paths we can take toward reconciliation and they build one upon the other. And here's the starting place if you wanna reconcile with somebody in your life, and that is you begin with right thinking. You begin with right thinking. So watch this. After Paul has focused on spiritual reality in verses one through three, we saw that in week one, this idea of seeing each other through the lens of God's reality. And then after he has focused on the value of relationality, in verses four through nine, this idea of drawing close to others relationally and having that change your perspective, he now gets down to the nitty gritty. And look at what he says in verses 10 through 13. He says, I appeal to you, Philemon, for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I've sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, if this is confusing at all to you, don't let it be. We know the backstory here, and it's not complicated. Onesimus is a runaway slave during Roman times 2,000 years ago. He tired of being in bondage and being seen and utilized as human chattel by this prosperous businessman named Philemon. And so he decided to hightail it out of Colossae. I showed you this on a map before. And he ran to Ephesus along the Aegean Sea. And his plan was to catch a boat in Ephesus all the way across the sea to what is modern day Greece and get away and try to get himself free. The only problem is God was involved in this. 
And when he got to Ephesus, he met this guy named Paul who's in prison there. And Paul explained Jesus to him and Onesimus became a follower of Jesus. And his life started to change. And his story began to unravel. And as it did, Paul learned that he was a runaway slave from Colossae. And he said, by the way, who's your master in Colossae? I've been there. And he says, it's this businessman named Philemon. And Paul says, I know him. I led him to the Lord. You guys are now brothers in Christ. And I think we can fix this. I think we can reconcile this relationship. And that's the birth of this letter called Philemon. It's a letter from Paul to Philemon asking him to set Onesimus free. And it's at this point in our letter here in verses 10 through 13 that Paul gets to the big ask. He essentially says here in verse 10, I want you to free Onesimus as a slave and release him. I want you to reconcile with him and now begin a lifelong journey of a very different kind of relationship with him. But notice that as Paul asks this in verse 10, there's a logic and flow in verses 10 through 13, now don't miss this, in which Paul is trying to nudge Philemon's thinking in a different direction. He's trying to get Philemon to think differently about Onesimus and to see reality from God's perspective and even from Onesimus's perspective. So let's notice what he's doing here. Notice that he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. It's interesting. He didn't say, I appeal to you for this runaway slave, Onesimus. He says, my child. Now we know that Onesimus was not actually Paul's child, as in, in a sense of biological. He means, I led this guy to the Lord. And he's now a son of mine in the faith. And that makes him Philemon, because I led you to the Lord, a brother of yours. He's not a slave. He's a brother in Christ, and I need you to start getting your thinking right and see him that way. And then he does something really, really amazing here that's seen more in the Greek, but you also see in the English. I put it there in yellow. He says, Onesimus, who formerly was useless, but now is useful both to you and me. Well, what's that about? <laughs> the word, the name Onesimus, I told you this in previous weeks, in the Greek literally means useful. It was actually a name that they gave to slaves back then. Onesimus was probably not his real name. It was a slave name given to him, and it means useful. It's seeing Onesimus as a as human chattel. It objectifies him, which is why slavery is so barbaric and inhumane. And, and, and Paul's been saying here, he mentions Onesimus by name, and then he plays on some logic here. He says, you know, you thought he was useful to you, but he really is useless in God's eyes if you see him as a slave. He only becomes useful when you see him as a brother in Christ. In other words, he's doing a play on words here involving Onesimus's name and even using these words useless and useful. He's essentially saying even though his name means useful, no one is actually useful when you see them as less than human. They only become useful in the kingdom when they are seen as equal to you in fellowship and in service. Adjust your thinking, Philemon. Rightly think. And then to cement this real quickly, he says, I wished to actually keep him with me because he ministers to me. 
In other words, he says to Philemon, this is, this is how Onesimus is useful, Philemon, as a free person, as a creation of God equal to you, now redeemed in Jesus and one who can freely minister to even an apostle like me as a true brother in the Lord. Don't miss this, gang. Paul is, what Paul's doing here is he's trying to get Philemon to think rightly about this big ask. He's trying to get Philemon to see the situation not just from Philemon's standpoint, which is how all of us tend to think when we're in our own selfish mode. He's saying, see it from Onesimus' side. See it from God's side. And you might see it differently and be willing to reconcile here. That's what Paul's doing here. And indeed, what you and I learn from this is it the first step toward reconciliation in our lives, whoever you're thinking of right now, is for you to start to think rightly. And by thinking rightly, I mean be willing to consider the situation from both sides. Not just your vantage point, which might have some merit to it, but from another's vantage point, even from God's vantage point. So whether it be your troubled marriage or the kid that is rebelling or the friend that won't draw close to you or the family member who drives you crazy or the workplace relationship that has blown up, I know you got something in your life going on. Or even a segment of society that feels hurting and alienated and has asked us to care, it all begins with you and I being willing to rightly think and begin to see it from another angle, not just your angle. Some of you are tempted to say right now, but Jamie, you don't understand. I mean, my angle's right. I'm the victim here. That might very well be true. But here's what you need to understand. Say for the sake of argument that you're 70% right and the other person's 30% wrong. Or maybe to be generous, 80-20. Until you explore and see the 20 or 30%, you're never gonna get a listening ear. You're never gonna get an audience with the other person until you're willing to see at least what what partially is going on from their end. Reconciliation won't even get out of the starting blocks. It won't even get off the ground. And here's what really will add some grit to this. (laughs) And that is that, 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 that when we understand that right thinking can only occur when we listen to another in order to understand. Now we're getting somewhere. Let me repeat that. Right thinking only occurs when we really listen to understand. And I mean listen both to God as well as to the other person you're trying to reconcile with. You, You can't understand it without listening to them and hearing it from their side. You know, one of the reasons I feel kind of passionate about this or know something about this, even though I'm not a therapist, is that, as you can imagine, our church, any church, does a lot of work on the human-to-human reconciliation stuff. We meet with a lot of marriages that have gone south. We deal with a lot of parenting issues around here. We certainly deal with all sorts of relational rifts and, and breakdown. And it doesn't make us therapists, but we do know the Bible pretty well, and we work a lot with people. One of the saddest scenarios that I have dealt with in 30-plus years of ministry and, and, and it just breaks my heart every time I see it. And this won't surprise you, but I, I'll just, I'm not mean to pick on a particular sex here, but this is many times what is presented to me is that a couple will come in and they're in dire straits. Say they've been married 10, 20, or even 30 years and, and, and they're in a real mess. And when I start to probe and unpack what's happening, 
all too common, it's a scenario like this, where, and again, I'll pick on, on the man here, the, the wife for years, years, has felt dissatisfied and unloved in the marriage. The wife has, has not felt cherished, as the vow was said. She's not felt uplifted and cared for. She has felt very much used or second class or just not loved. And there's been no adultery. There's been no abandonment, you know, the things the scriptures talks about. It's just that the wife for, for years on end has just not felt very cherished and loved and, and is now lonely and has been feeling that way a long time. And she's tried to say something before, but it just kind of falls on deaf ears and, you know, the man is satisfied, but the wife's not. And, and eventually what happens in a scenario like that, very sad, is that the wife eventually says, I've had enough. That's it. And the husband comes home one day and the wife says, I want out. And he panics and says, what do you mean out? And she uses that terrible word, the D word, says, it's over. And he says, well, well, can't we go to counseling? And she goes, I don't think it'll work. Well, can't we do this? I don't think it'll work. And in a desperate move, he'll say, will you at least see a pastor? <laughs> and she'll say, well, they're kind of gentle. Okay, I'll go see the pastor. And, and they come in and meet with myself or one of our other 45 pastors here. And the story unravels. And here's where it becomes really, really, really sad is that we can see that the woman's feeling this way and that she's gonna make a decision to leave. And invariably, what many times the husband will do, especially a Christian husband, is that he'll get to the point and say, you can't leave. You can't leave because the Bible says you can't leave. There's been no adultery. I've not abandoned you as unbelieving spouse. I know the word. And you can't leave. And so you have to stay with me. Now, let me ask you guys a question. How do you think that makes a woman who hasn't been heard in 20 to 30 years feel when all of a sudden the Bible, or when the husband pulls out a Bible and basically uses it to club her and say, you can't leave? You know what invariably happens at that moment? I've seen it happen a thousand times. <laughs> she starts to cry in that moment. She says, this is the whole problem. You care more uh, about this outward observance to biblical norms than you do about loving me. And I, as the pastor, sit there and go, she's right. <laughs> I mean, are, are you probably technically right that the Bible says there's no grounds for divorce here? Yeah. But here's the problem. You're not listening in order to understand. You're not really understanding this woman's heart and what her experience has been for the last 10, 20, 30 years. And you're discrediting all of that. And you think that you're in the right. See, that's the problem with reconciliation is that we think we're justified. And I see this. And many, many times when a pattern has gone on like that for decades, it's hard to break that, but not impossible. God says you can adjust your thinking. That's just one example. There's so many scenarios where, again, even if you feel you're more in the right, seeing it as God sees it from other angles does nothing but start to bridge that, 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 that need for people to come together for reconciliation. It's the first step that God gives us. Now, as I say quite often when I teach you, we're just getting going. There is more, much more. <laughs> and so a bit more quickly, uh, because we spent a lot of time in this first pathway, but, but it was an important pathway to spend time on, I want you to notice a second pathway that comes right on the heels of right thinking. And it's a word that I know all of you love, and it's this word, repentance. Don't you love that word? Repentance. 
In other words, right thinking needs to be followed up with a choice to do something now that you're thinking more rightly. And this is exactly what Paul challenges Philemon to in his reconciliation with Onesimus. So notice what happens next. Again, we're following it verse by verse here. Notice what happens next in verses 14, and then he reiterates it in verse 21. After laying out that you need to think differently about this Philemon, he says, but I don't want you to do so without your consent so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. And then he says the same thing in verse 21. He says, I have confidence in your obedience, Philemon, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Uh, so string together those three phrases I put there in yellow because they're all getting to the same place. He, he refers to Philemon's goodness. He, he refers to him to use his free will. And, and then he says, I need you to dig deep and, and, and find some obedience here. And that word goodness simply means what is good in a situation. What is the right thing to do? That word free will means what you think it means. It means to do something voluntarily, to choose to act in a certain situation. That phrase is used over 10 times in the Old Testament to refer to a free will offering where you would offer up something to God out of your obedience and love for him. And then that word obedience I know we don't use that word very much today except for maybe our pets or something like that, but it's a rich word in light of God. Obedience is simply a behavioral response to something that you know God wants you to do. Or I love how N.T. Wright in his commentary here on, on Philemon says that he says obedience is a total response of the whole person to the summons of God in the gospel. It's a heartfelt response to the call of love. And so add it all up. It's all getting to the same point. Paul is saying to Philemon, Philemon, you're now a follower of Jesus and you have goodness in you because of that. So use your will, your free will to choose to follow your right thinking. Obey what you know to be right and begin a path to reconcile with Onesimus and set him free. Guys, there's no other way to say it. This is a call to repentance and it's the second pathway up the mountain toward reconciliation, second only to right thinking. And when you think about it, it only makes sense because we all know that it's one thing <laughs> to think about something. It's another thing to do something about it, amen? I mean, again, marriage is a great example there. You know, if your wife, come, you come home and say, well, I'll pick on the, uh, the, the husband right now. Or, or I picked on the husband. Okay, I pick on the wife right now. And, and you come home and, you know, the husband says, well, I've been feeling kind of neglected lately. And, you know, the wife might say, well, I've been, I've been thinking about you. You know, how's that? We all go, well, I'd like a little bit more than that. I'd like some action. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called repentance. And on the heels of right thinking, what God wants from you and me is to now choose to turn and head in the direction of that other person. And folks, I gotta tell you, as simple as this might sound, at least for me, out of the four pathways I'm gonna present to you today, this is by hard the hardest one for me. It's where I get stuck the most. Because you see, in my life, I'm smart enough and at times when I drop my guard okay enough to see a situation from another person's vantage point. But then when I'm told to actually do something about it, 
Now I have a real conundrum. I can remember years ago when I first experienced this, it was back in the 90s, I was a very, very young pastor and very insecure in my life and trying to do my best. And one night I was doing some leadership training at our church there in Detroit and we had invited uh, some other leaders to come in and participate. And one of our key leaders in the church sent his wife that night to, to be a part of the leadership training. And to this day, I don't remember exactly what happened, but somehow the rails, things came off the rails. And as I was doing my training, this woman actually raised her hand and interrupted me and basically in front of everybody else took me on and, and, and disagreed with what I was saying as if that's possible. And she was, you know, uh, just having major issues with it. And it wasn't even just intellectual. She, she basically just, I felt like she attacked my character. And, and again, being young and not knowing how to handle this, I, I kind of endured it, but I felt very humiliated and I went home that night just feeling very hurt. And what always comes on the coattails of hurt? Does anybody know? Anger. So I woke up the next day feeling very, very angry. And I called my senior pastor on the phone. And, and I said, I need to meet with you. Of course, he's busy working on a sermon for, for Sunday. But he, he prioritized it. And we met. And I just unloaded on him. And I was so angry. I said, you're not going to believe what this woman did. And, and she embarrassed me in front of everybody. And, and she did this and, and that. She said this. And, and, and I essentially said, I just want her gone. I want church discipline invoked. I want her husband in there. I want you and the elders. She has no right to treat me that way. And I mean, I was just out for blood. And, and my pastor, who's so wise, said to me, well, I, I understand your anger. And it's based on hurt and all of this. But at one point he said, in fact, I'll never forget, he got kind of tough, but he said, you need to just stop talking. He said, you're only seeing this from your side. He said, I have no idea what else is going on. You, you might be as right as the rain. She might have attacked you for no reason, but I doubt that. Something happened there that set her off, and that's her issue, and she came at you with it. But I know this couple. She's a good-hearted person. She's not evil. And, and, and at the end of the day, you're going to be a part of the same church for a long time. And he was right. He, he said, this I know, Jimmy. You are going to have to get with her. You're going to have to calm down. You're going to have to see this from her side to try to understand. He's getting me to do this right-thinking thing. And he said, and you're going to have to reconcile. We're not a big enough church. We didn't have multiple services and multiple campuses and stuff like that. Now, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but, but at that moment we were sitting there, I, I knew two things. One, I knew he was right. I'm logical enough to know that what he was saying made sense, but I also knew a second thing. I didn't want to do it. I still wanted her gone. I wanted this to go away. I did not want to enter into that tunnel of chaos. Any of you ever felt that way or is it just me? And God had my proverbial arm behind my back. He was twisting it. And what was God trying to do in me? He was trying to say, you need to repent. You understand now, Jamie, what it is. You understand that even though you might be as right in rain. By the way, end of the story, I was right. So, but anyways, that, that's not the point. <laughs> The point is, is until I calmed down and until I saw things from her vantage point, I was able to listen to her and understand and made the choice to enter into that scenario, which, which was so difficult to do, I was never going to reconcile. And I learned that year, this was back in the early 90s, I'd been reading a book by Minerth and Meyer back then called Love is a Choice. I learned that I can't make my choices by feelings. Have you learned that yet in life? Feelings are important, but, but at the end of the day, Obedience is not based on feelings or we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> My feelings were hurt and anger. Now, I learned back then that the choices need to be made on how we think 
and how we behave in light of God's word. And that as we do that over time, the feelings will start to follow suit. That was enlightening for me. And ever since then, God has had, God has had me at, at multiple junction points in my life where he is saying, you need to make a choice, just like Paul's doing with Philemon. You need to make a choice to repent, turn toward that other person. I'm telling you, it's the hardest thing to do. But again, if you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in you, then certainly it's a choice you can make. Last thought on this one, we're gonna move on right now. Don't ever kid yourself that you have no choice. I hear Christians way too often talk like victims. You ever notice that? Well, I just can't. You know, and, I, and, and what you really mean is you won't. <laughs> In fact, when somebody comes into me and says, you know, I'm, I'm divorcing her, I'm divorcing him. And, and what do they always say? Again, I, I don't mean to step on toes, but here's quite often they say to me, I've just, I, I, just, I just don't love them anymore. And many times, this will prevent some of you from ever wanting to come to me. Many times I will subtly clarify, and I'll pick on Brian here because I know you guys are good. And, and I'll say, Brian, let me clarify. W what you're saying is, is that you are choosing not to love her anymore. And boy, they look at me like I'm from Mars. Because you see, love is a choice. You don't fall in and out of love. I mean, there is such thing as romantic love. But at the end of the day, you choose to either be committed to that person or not. And that's a beautiful thing. God says to each one of us, we can choose under his strength to turn and to be reconciled or not. Don't kid yourself. You have a choice. So you got right thinking, listening, and understanding in order to get the right picture of what God wants. You got repentance, choosing to turn and head in the direction that God has laid out for you now. And the only question becomes then, what is that direction? What is it that God wants you to choose? And this leads us to the third pathway that God has for those of us who desire to reconcile. And I'll just warn you, this is what most people think of right now, what we're about to look at, when you think of reconciliation. This is what we think of as the heart of reconciliation, but if you don't do steps one and two, you'll never be able to do this third pathway. But here's the third pathway, and that is that you release the other person. You release the other person, and by release, you guessed it, I mean you forgive and you let go. You reconcile by forgiving the other person and let going of the wrong committed against you, or if you're on the other end, by saying you're sorry and receiving the forgiveness that hopefully they're willing to give. And folks, this is core to what Paul is asking of Philemon and Onesimus. Again, following the text, look at verses 15 through 17. Paul goes on to say, for perhaps he, Onesimus, was for this reason separated you from a while, for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you both in the flesh, meaning in, in the natural self, and in the Lord, in the spiritual realm? If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Again, the richness is in the wording here. I can almost hear Philemon, you know, digging his heels in if, if he was at that moment. You know, when Paul says, you know, for perhaps he, Onesimus, was for this reason separated from you for a while. Philemon would say, he wasn't separated. He ran. I mean, he left me. He, he abandoned me. And Paul's saying, no, nah, you're not seeing it right. He just kind of separated from you. You need to let that go. You need to forgive. And he said, because I want him back forever, eternally. There's an eternal thing going on here. And no longer as a slave, you gotta repent of that, don't see him as that. You need to let go of that. But now as a beloved brother. And then he uses that phrase that is the core to all of this. He says, accept him, release him, reconcile with him. 
And again, you know, the, the thing you and I have to wrestle with at this point in the text is what exactly did this involve for each one of them? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what is it that Philemon would have to do to make this right? And what would Onesimus have to do to make this right? N.T. Wright, in his, again, in his wonderful little commentary in Philemon, I think nails it. Look at what he says here. I think this is rich. He said, Paul seeks the specifically Christian virtue of loving forgiveness, which will demand, here it is, humility from both parties. Onesimus must abandon fear and Philemon pride. Whoa. And I think he's onto something there. Let's pick on Philemon first. I think Philemon, if he was operating in the flesh before he was saved, would simply say, you gotta be kidding me. I'm a Roman citizen. Roman citizens are allowed to have slaves, either voluntary or forced, because they had both back then. And it's my right to have a slave, and he ran away from me, and, and I want him back. But Paul is saying, you aren't driven by culture, Philemon. Doesn't matter what your right is in the Roman system of government or what your right is in an American system of government. What matters is what God's kingdom says. And God's kingdom says you need to let this go. God's kingdom says you need to accept him as a brother. God's kingdom says you need to love him as Jesus loves him. In other words, you need to drop your pride and this isn't about being a Roman citizen. This is about being a citizen of God's kingdom. But then I think Philemon, or I'm sorry, Onesimus is dealing with some things. And I think it's even richer for Onesimus. I mean, read the text here. Paul is basically saying to Onesimus, I'm sending you back to Philemon. And don't worry, Onesimus, I'm pretty sure he's gonna listen and not take you back as a slave, but as a brother. And you gotta believe Onesimus is saying, pretty sure, pretty sure? I mean, I hope there's more than pretty sure here. I, I mean, this is going to take a lot of courage for me to go back and trust you, Paul, and trust, I, I, I think I'd rather get on a boat and head to Greece. And he's saying, no, you need to trust God, Onesimus, because this is kingdom stuff. This is right. You need to drop your guard. You, you need to move forward in spite of that fear and trust that God's up to something here. And folks, once you and I get this, once we get that, that Philemon needs to drop his pride and Onesimus' fear, could there be something in that for you and me today? Yes or no? See, right now, I know many of you are thinking, I hope you are, uh, about maybe a situation in your life right now where you, know, you need to reconcile a relationship. It maybe it's with a spouse, as we've talked about. Maybe it's with one of your kids. Maybe it's with a dear friend or a family member or a workplace relationship. Or maybe even you're all into, as you should be, what's happening in society today. And how do we respond? to our African-American brothers and sisters, to our Hispanic brothers and sisters, to our Native American brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters. How do we respond to what's happening here in America? And the question you need to wrestle with if you're a serious follower of Jesus as we get to pathway three here, as I'm sure Onesimus wrestled with and as Philemon wrestled with is, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from this release that's needed in order for reconciliation to occur. Either the release of saying you're sorry and seeking forgiveness, or if you're the offended one, hearing that sorry and offering forgiveness. What's holding you back in that? Is it pride? You've bought into culture and this is my right as an American today. Drop that. You don't have any rights as far as God is concerned. You're his child. The only right you have is to suffer for the name of Jesus, amen? 
you're supposed to smile at that a little bit because you have some other rights too, but most of those will come in heaven. Your rights now are to be a serious follower of Jesus and do what he asks you to do. Maybe it's fear. What if I get burned? What if I get misunderstood? What if the other person hurts me again? Those are all, those are all real things that require, like it did for Onesimus, trust in God. You see, here's my point. It's okay to have these things. Fear, arrogance, pride, lack of trust. Philemon and Onesimus had those things. Yet it's one thing to have them and to confront them with faith and right thinking and repentance. It's another thing to have them and just be okay with having them. You see, the whole point of the letter of Philemon is that everything is now changed with Jesus. That's why we did the excursus we did last week, because Jesus has reconciled us to himself. And as a result of that, you and I now are changed, and we can change in our relationship with those around us. We're not the same people anymore. We don't do things like the world. We don't jump on every cultural bandwagon. We get our marching orders from God, and we follow Right thinking, repentance, release. And with God's spirit living in us, even though it's difficult, we can do these things. We can confront fear. We can abandon pride. We can trust in God. We can release if we're willing to take the pathway. Because you see, then very quickly, and really for another sermon, there's a fourth and final pathway that God provides for us up the mountain. And again, this is gonna throw some of you, you're not gonna like it, you think I'm wading into political territory, I'm not, I'm following the Bible, don't shoot the messenger, check out the word, and it is repair, repair. You're saying, whoa, 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 what's that about? It's quarter reconciliation. Look at how Paul says it to Onesimus, this is rich. Again, following the text, he says, but if, I'm sorry, how Paul says it to Philemon, he says, but if he, Onesimus, has wronged you in any way, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe to me, even your own self as well. <laughs> I love this. Almost every Bible expert agrees. I spent a lot of time with these words this week, so I wanna make sure we understand them rightly. That when he uses words owe, charge, and repay, almost every Bible expert agrees that I could find that that's monetary in nature. You ever seen the movie Les Miserables? Beautiful play, movie, read the book. Uh, in Les Miserables, you know, the, 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 one of the, the guys steals from a priest in order to get away and have some, some, some funds for the road ahead. And almost certainly that's what happened here, that Onesimus stole some either money or articles from Philemon in order to have money. He was a runaway slave for the road to Ephesus and eventually to Greece. And you can almost hear what happened here, that when Paul said to Philemon, hey, you need to forgive him, you know, that, that, and you need to let this go, and you need to release him, that Philemon would go, yeah, 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 I know all that, but you know what, he owes me. He stole from me, and you know, what about that? And, and what's Paul's response here? He says, yeah, I, I get it. He, he probably wronged you, and, and he owes you. And I love what Paul does here. He says, and it's gonna be repaid. Charge it to my account. There's gonna be repair made. <laughs> But then, like only a pastor could do, Paul says, but don't forget, I was the one who Jesus used to save your pathetic soul, and you owe me if you wanna talk about what's owed, and so we'll talk about that next time we get together and talk about how to repair this and pay it back. But Paul's admitting that, yes, repair needs to be made, and that's the point. 
I'm gonna wrap up here in a second. Some of you are going, thank you. I'm gonna wrap up here in a second. And uh, we're, we're gonna talk about how, how reconciliation takes two. It really does. I mean, in fact, I'll just say it now. You can forgive with just one. You can choose to forgive anybody, whether they apologize or not. You can forgive them. You have to, otherwise it's gonna eat you up and you can let that go. But reconciliation takes two. That, that's the freedom you have here today. We'll, we'll wrap up with that in a second here. But reconciliation takes both sides coming in, in, into the center here. And part of what makes reconciliation beautiful is that as you're moving toward each other with right thinking and repentance and then release, there does come a point where if you're not willing to repair what damage you did, then you're probably never gonna be reconciled. I was reminded this week of AA, of the Alcoholics Anonymous movement, and step number nine, which I think is so powerful, it goes like this, I, I will make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So part of the, the, the working the program with AA is to make amends with those that you've hurt in your addiction. And I think that's good wisdom for all of us. And, and that's a huge part of reconciling is it, the wisdom and the ability to say, I'm gonna do what I can, anything I can to make this right. So let's add up where we've come from today. These are the four pathways that God gives us in the book of Philemon here. Right thinking that hopefully will lead to right actions, repentance that leads, leads to a release that's willing to repair. I can tell you right now, over 2,000 years since these words were written, they have worked in millions of situations where people have worked this and been able to find that pathway to summit the mountain of reconciliation. It works. In fact, in a beautiful way, we have no evidence of this necessarily, but most commentators believe that Philemon listened here and that they were able to repair the relationship. You know why they think that? Because 40 years later, there would be a bishop in Ephesus by the name of Onesimus. And many scholars think it's the same dude. That Paul actually did reconcile with Onesimus. Onesimus was able to forgive, I'm sorry, Philemon was able to reconcile with Onesimus. Onesimus forgave Philemon. Onesimus stayed in Ephesus and became this wonderful Christian leader and eventually the head Christian leader, the bishop of Ephesus. It has a beautiful ending. And the point is, it can be that way for us as well. Now, one last thought. I know how some of you think, I've said to you for years, and I kind of mean it as a joke, but kind of serious, that my love language is cynicism and sarcasm. Don't ever forget this. Behind every cynic is a critical thinker. Most cynics, cynicism's not good, but behind most cynicism is somebody who's just thinking deeply and, and critically about the world around them, and I tend to do that. And I tend to think, you know, what would be the pushback to this? Like, wh where would this not work? And, and I get what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, but Jamie, I, I, I've tried this before and it doesn't always work. I, I, I've tried to do even some of these things here and, 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 and it, it, I'm still estranged from that relationship. And you know what I'm gonna admit to you right now? That's true. <laughs> Again, that's why we need to understand forgiveness only takes one. Reconciliation takes two. And that's why the Bible says this. I love this verse. It's been very freeing for me but also very confining. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Whew, this one's worth memorizing, isn't it? If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What's freeing about that is that it honors the way reconciliation works. And that is that 
it's sometimes way beyond your control. You can do right thinking, you can repent, you can try to work on release, you can try to repair, and if the other person's unwilling to budge, then reconciliation will not occur. That's reality. That's gonna happen at times. But here is where the other side of it comes in. And that is that the Bible says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And many, many Christians today, (laughs) what they tend to do is they tend to not do that as far as it depends on me part very well. We're like me back in the 1990s, saying there's no way I wanna reconcile with this person. We refuse to make the choice toward right thinking that will lead to repentance, that could lead to release, that then could start to repair. We refuse to enter the ring, or as I like to say, the tunnel of chaos into reconciliation. And at that point, we're the ones that have taken ourselves out of the game. After the last service, when I was walking back to my office where I rest in between services, one of our security guys said something to me, it's such a tender heart that was so powerful. He said, man, if everybody at Scottsdale Bible Church would do this, he said, we'd have like a million Hallmark movies to write here at our church. And of course, I wanted to say to him, you watch Hallmark movies? Okay, I get it. But, but, but isn't he right? But we'd have so many stories of what God could do to enter into this kind of chaos. And yet it could begin with you and me. And will every one of them end, you know, with this Hallmark ending? Probably not. I'm a realist. But many more would if we would follow God in the pathways he lays out with Philemon and Onesimus here. Don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for the amazing word that you give us in this short little book that so many Christians do a drive-by of that we've parked in front of and found some real nuggets for our lives. Lord, we've learned here that we can choose a different lens to see the world around us, this idea of reality. We can choose to draw close and be more relational with those around us, thus bridging the gap. And Lord, today, hitting the nail right on the head, we can actually reconcile or at least have a strong potential to if we'll take the pathways that you've laid out for us. So Father, I pray that we would not be shy, that we would have trust in you and other centeredness to start to adjust our thinking about the situations before us and see it from your angle and even others' angle. God, I pray that we would repent, that we would not allow feelings to drive us, whether it be hurt, anger, fear, disappointment, sadness, whatever it might be, very real things, but that our obedience would be based on following you. And I pray, Lord, that that would lead us toward release. That, God, we might be able to release those around us or, Lord, even to say I'm sorry and, and, and try to provide a pathway for release from those that we've injured. And, Father, I pray, too, we'd be willing to repair, whether individually or even societally, that, God, we would be willing to do whatever we can to repair the injury done to those by our sin. God, I pray that you would work in and through this church. Lord, my vision, as I said a thousand times here, is is, is for Scottsdale Bible Church. That's the charge you've given to me and our pastors and elders. So God, I pray for our church that you would work these truths, massage them into our souls and our relationships. And Lord, may a bunch of Hallmark movies be written out of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen.